Well, it's good to see you this morning. If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. As you're going through your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you're going to go on into the New Testament, Romans, 1 Corinthians. You're going to come to Galatians eventually. Galatians chapter 2. And we're going to be looking at verse 20 this morning. As you find your places there, we're going to do something just slightly different right before the message and go into a time of prayer. I realize that on any given Sunday we have folks that are visiting with us for the first time. You, maybe you've been invited here to church. You wonder, what are these people all about? What are they doing? Why am I here? Um, we're glad you're here. We're thankful that you're here. I don't want to embarrass you in any way. And then there's people who come week after week after week. And uh, I don't want to embarrass you in any way. But at the same time, I want to tell you that apart from prayer, very little will happen over the next 45 minutes, 40 minutes in our service. Apart from prayer, very little will happen. I don't know how much you prayed for the worship service today. Some of us are doing good just to barely get here. <laughs> and to get here on time. And to get all the kids here. And everybody actually be happy when they get here. Anybody ever have mornings like that? All right. I know we do at our home. All right. There are some mornings that by the time all the kids are ready and everybody's out the door, you're so worn out from getting them ready and fighting all the battles that now you don't even want to go. All right. And then we come in and we sing a little bit and we're getting our thoughts off the things of the world and on to what Christ would have for us because this is one of the most important hours of the week. And to do it apart from prayer uh, accomplishes very little. So here's what I'm going to invite you to do. Let's just go to Lord in prayer right now and ask God to do some impossible things. And I'm going to ask you with every head bowed and eyes closed, maybe just out loud this morning, Maybe you, well, let's just begin praising God. I'm not asking you for anything that's disorderly. I'm not asking you for anything. I'm not asking people to have to do something out loud. I'm just saying maybe out loud this morning, you would say, I praise you, God, today because you are faithful. I praise you, God, today that you are the comforter. I thank you for that. I praise you, God, today that you're a victorious God, and through you we can have victory. And maybe this morning you just want to out loud say, God, I praise you today because this is who you are. I want to give you a moment to do that, and I'm going to close this in prayer and ask for God to speak to us today through his word.
Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And your word has told us that you are present in the praises of your people. And that when we come into the sanctuary, praises should just roll off of our lips because it's a reminder to us weekly of the God that we serve and of all that you've done for us and of who you are. And today we feed on your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness. And Lord, we're asking right now that you would take your word and speak powerfully to us. Your word, combined with prayer, is exactly what we need today. We don't need a lot of good jokes today. We don't need to be entertained today. But we need your word. And we need your word packed and empowered by the Spirit of God to pierce into our hearts and do transformation in our lives. So God, we're asking right now that you take over this portion of the service, that you would eliminate distractions, that you would make yourself be praised and continue to be praised as we worship over the sermon. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, a very powerful verse. I want you to look at it with me. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, the Bible says, I have been crucified with Christ. This is the Apostle Paul speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to tell you, if we can grab a hold of this passage this morning, you're going to leave here different. You're going to leave here changed. And your Monday and your Tuesday and your Wednesday may be a little different if you can grasp hold of the power in this verse. Because I want to tell you, we're not playing church this morning, and we're not just reading some scriptures and doing some religious routine. I'm telling you, we need change. And this verse is the core passage, one of the core passages in the Bible that tell us how we can be changed. Today is what many Christians call Palm Sunday. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ, a historical event, a biblical event, a life-changing event, a history-changing event, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey surrounded by crowds who cried out, Hosanna, and held to the king. On the surface, it looked good. Crowds of people waving palm branches, but Jesus knew the multitudes were fickle. He knew that in their heart of hearts, what they really wanted was an earthly king who would do their agenda. They wanted a king who would overthrow Roman rule, not a humble servant who would come riding into town on all of all things a donkey. Not a white horse, not a great stallion, but a donkey. This isn't what they were looking for, but they cried out Hosanna because they had heard about this miracle worker. And they wanted him to fulfill their political ambitions. They were looking for a political Messiah who would do for them what they thought was best. They could have cared less about spiritual things. They didn't want to follow Christ where he was going. They didn't want to give up personal comfort and ambitions. That wasn't in their mind. But they did want somebody that would do something for them. And later on in the week, on what we call Good Friday, when they found out that this great miracle worker, this great teacher, was not going to fulfill their political and earthly ambitions, their shouts of Hosanna and hail to the King turned to cries of crucify him. We want blood. And they cried out, crucify him, as he stood on trial for crimes that he did not commit. That's what we're going to be encountering this Friday as we celebrate Good Friday and Passover. The crowds cried for blood. He cried for their souls. They shouted, give us Barabbas, the murderer, free him. Christ loudly pleaded, Father, forgive them. They have no clue what they're doing. 
They were rushing downstream in one direction and Christ was marching upstream towards a goal that only He could accomplish. You know what, as I think about the events of this week, that over 2,000 years ago, this entire week, from Palm Sunday to Good Friday to Easter Sunday that we'll celebrate next week, this is a historical event that has life-altering, life-changing ramifications for you and I, you and me. Does it even bother you when Jesus heads in a different direction than you do? You say, what are you, what are you talking about? As I thought about what the crowds wanted, they wanted someone to do something for them, but it wasn't the direction he was heading. And I got to thinking about that. Does it bother me? Does it bother you when you head in a different direction than Jesus does? Or when Jesus comes to you and he says, hey, I want you to go this way with your life. And you say, no, 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 I've got a different agenda. I got something. I want you to do this for me. I want you to do this for me, but I don't want to go where you're going. I ask myself some questions as I think about how there's been times in my life where I cried out, Hosanna, hell to the king, and God, you were so wonderful, and God, you were so good. You've given me such a great day. And then the bad days come, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not crying out, hell to the king. I'm not crying out, God, you're so good. In fact, I'm resisting what he wants to do in my life. And I ask myself some questions. Mark, does it frustrate you when the king of kings and lord of lords disrupts your ambitions for the day, your goals for the week, how you do your finances? or your goals in a certain relationship with another person? Hey, Mark, how do you feel when Jesus comes to you and says, Hey, Mark, follow me. Follow me. And so I get up and I start following Jesus, only to find that he's taken me to the edge of my comfort zone and he's wanting to go through the fence. It was funny, this past week, Valerie and the kids and I were in the car and, and we headed up here by the, by the Viles home. And, and that's, uh, what road is that? Uh, uh yeah, I'm still learning them. All right, Mill Creek. And, and we pulled out there to do that little shortcut, you know, over to Walmart, that kind of thing, the route to Wally World. And, and, and we pulled up to the stop sign, and Valerie said, what is that down there? I said, it's a sheep. And she said, uh, and so she's like turning the car around right there in the middle of the road. I'm like, honey, you've seen sheep before, and they've got some around here. She goes, yeah, but this, one, this one's great. This one's different. Wow, we got to see this. I'm like, okay. So, so we're driving down the road, and sure enough, right there beside the Viles home, there was two cows and this big sheep. And one thing I noticed about the sheep was he was trying his best to get to the other side of the fence. He had all this grass, but the grass on the other side of the pole, like where he was dislodging his head in between the barbed wire, I mean, he was just chewing on that stuff. It was good stuff. And I thought about, you know, that's what Jesus does. Jesus takes me to the edge of my comfort zone, and he says, hey, I want to take you out of where you feel comfortable. How do I respond when he does that? How, how do I respond when Jesus takes me beyond my little controlled circle where I make life work the way I want it day after day and Jesus says, no, I'm ready for you to move beyond that. What do I do when Jesus Christ comes and reveals sin in my life and He has an utter hatred for areas of my life that are totally contrary to Him and He's got to cut it out of me and He looks at me and He says, Mark, in order for me to get this out of you, you've got to quit using terms for your sin such as my struggle or this is my little weakness, or this is my little shortcoming, or, hey, you, I, I'm not perfect, you know. Everyone's got problems, and while all those things are true, I attempt to cover up and, 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 and make my, my sin look good by not calling it sin. And Jesus says, in order for us to get this out of your life, we're going to have to start calling it what it is. How do I feel when he does these things? How do I feel when Jesus shows up and he says, you know what, my agenda for your life is to do some impossible business 
so that you can quit looking at you and, and looking more like yourself and, and transformed into looking like me. What do I do with that? And so then one day I'm reading the Word of God and I come across the truth that God not only wants me to live differently, but He's given me the power to do so. And that's what we find in Galatians 2 verse 20. We find the historical fact, we find what's been done for us, and we find the power to live the way God wants us to live. So I read Galatians 2.20, and I see where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I died when He died. And when He rose again and lives, I now no longer, because I'm in Him, I live. I, 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 I no longer live in the old way, I live in a new way. In fact, it's Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I don't live by sight anymore. I live it moment by moment, day by day, by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. And here's my problem when I read that verse. I say, wait a second. If I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer Mark who's living, but Christ, why in the world am I struggling so bad? If I've been crucified with Him, then who in the world has given me all of this trouble why do I feel and act the way that I do? And you see, many of us understand the fact that Christ died for our sins. He was our substitute. The entire Bible points to the fact that sin deserves death. It's so serious in the sight of a holy and perfect God of whom there's no speck of evil or darkness. And this sin deserves death. In fact, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 through 26 gives us a beautiful picture of what Christ has come to do and why. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. We have fallen short. We fall short every day. We have sinned. We've broken the law. And then the Bible goes on to say, But being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood, a satisfaction through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in His forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What's he saying? He's saying that you're not going free unless you have faith in Jesus. He is the sacrificial lamb that pays for your sins. And I think we get that. For most of us in this room today, we get that point, but then we get up tomorrow morning and we're still struggling and we're still wrestling with fear and we're still wrestling with people-pleasing and we're still wrestling with the sin that so easily besets us and we wonder, hey, while, while Christ has forgiven me of this, how does Christ give me victory over this today? How do I become a different husband? How, be, how, how do I become a different wife? How do I really love Jesus? How do I love Jesus like that person over there? How come they've got it and I don't? Why is that? Well, I want to talk about some basis for these things. This Friday, as we celebrate Good Friday or Passover, that is a historic event where we know God came to the Israelites while they were in captivity in Egypt. And God had sent plague after plague after plague trying to get Pharaoh to let his people go. And finally, God sent the last plague because Pharaoh's heart was so resistant, so rebellious. And the plague was this. God was going to take the firstborn son of every family. And God told Moses, he said, tell the Jews that if they want to be saved, 
They've got to take the blood of a spring lamb, and they've got to go outside their front door, and they've got to cover the doorpost with that blood. And as the Spirit of God comes over that night, if He sees the blood on the doorpost, He will pass over that home and go to the next one. This was a picture of the one who would come to pay the penalty of sin once and for all. So that when a sinner changes their mind about the way they're living and the direction they're heading, that's contrary to the will of God and embraces Christ as their Savior and Lord, the sinner is declared righteous. He's pardoned from the guilt and the penalty of sin. And not only is he pardoned, but all of Christ's righteousness, all of his right living, all of his perfect deeds, all of his sinless life is transferred to that person's account. Now listen, I've just said a bunch of things. And I know how it is as a speaker, and I know how it is as a listener. The preacher says a bunch of stuff, and while he's talking, the mind starts to head other directions. So let's just stop for a moment. I have to explain those things to us so that we understand what we just said. But in in our day and time, we realize that what I just said can go in one ear and out the other. And I want to tell you that what I just said is absolutely life-changing. It's the only reason you have hope for tomorrow. Here's the deal. That Passover night, as they took that spring lamb and they covered the doorpost with the blood, it was the picture of the one who would shed his blood for you. Because you deserve to die. In Adam, you're a sinner. In Adam, I am a sinner. You say, well, how is that? Well, my father beget me and his father beget him. And if you go on back far enough, you're going to get to Adam. And when Adam sinned, he passed that sin nature on down to his children and their children and their children's children until it got to your family. And so you're born a sinner. And you choose to sin. And I choose to sin all the time. And we choose to live in darkness. And we choose to live apart from a holy and righteous God. We don't want Him. In the heart of hearts, we don't want Him. I was thinking about that this weekend. You know what I was thinking? In my flesh, my ambition for life would be this. I was thinking this. We went to Roanoke um, Friday afternoon and came back yesterday afternoon and, and spent some time with my folks. And, and I was thinking I was sitting there at the table. You're sitting there with your parents, and it kind of brings you back to childhood memories. And there's safety at home, all right? At home, my mom can treat me like a mom and a son and, and goo-goo all over you. And, and there's nothing you can do that's wrong with your mom. And she loves you no matter what. And no matter what you say, they always take up for you. And, and it was my birthday. Uh, they were celebrating a little birthday thing, and we were having birthday cake. And it kind of brought me back to some memories. And you know what? I was sitting there thinking at the dining room table. I, some of you would say, Pastor, you think too much. And my wife definitely believes that. And, and as I was sitting there eating cake, I was sitting there thinking, you know what? This takes me back to a time where I felt really secure. Have you ever found out the longer you live and the more you have to grow up, it's hard to grow up? It's hard to take on the responsibilities of the world. And I was sitting there going, you know what? In my flesh, apart from Jesus, you know what I want? Here's just my dream. In the flesh. It's totally sinful. It's not right at all. There's nothing right about it. Here's what it would be. Have all my family in perfect health. Live near all my family. Have a job that's not hard. (laughs) Have enough money to where we can just kind of do what we want to. I'm not talking about like really live it out there. I don't really want all that, but just do what we want to when we want to do it. All right? Never have any conflict. Never have any problems. Never have to do anything hard. Never have to face any hard situations. 
and stay at home when I want to. And when I want to get up and go do something useful, go do it. And I was sitting there eating birthday cake with my parents because there was a day where life was kind of like that when I was a kid. All right? And I was sitting there eating birthday cake and I was thinking, oh, you know, that just sounds so good. Y'all ever have days like that? Because ever since I left home, it has been nothing but hard. And it gets harder every year. And I had to think about that for a minute, because I'm telling you, in my flesh, in my sinful heart, that's where I would be tomorrow without Christ. I would reorient my entire life to get to that goal. Make no impact, because making impact is hard. You have to go against the grain. Dealing with sinful people, don't want to do that. I'd rather sit at home and watch television. You ever dealt with sinful people? It's tons of fun, let me tell you. And I would just sit at home, and I'd just kind of do what I wanted to do, and then I'd get up and go do what I wanted to do. All my family would be safe and secure. Everybody would be healthy. There wouldn't be any problems. And we'd get together. We'd have dinner once a week, and we'd do this and everything. I mean, that would be my life. And you know what the problem is with that entire dream? It is so different than Jesus Christ's agenda for my life. It's so different. It is the polar opposite of what he wants. It's the polar opposite of what he did. Because you know what? He left his home. He left the blessings of heaven. And he came in the form of a human being. And the Bible tells us that he walked amongst us. He came to all of our filth, all of our darkness, all of our self-centeredness. And he says, I'm going to penetrate the darkness. And I'm not just going to penetrate it. I'm going to do something about it. That's what he did. And did you know that for every one of us who know him as Lord and Savior, that's what he's called you and I to do? And it's hard. It's difficult. But he's empowered us to do it. But on Passover night, the Lord passes over the homes because the sin had been covered by the blood. So now a holy God can look on a sinner because Jesus Christ became the Passover lamb. And he can accept Mark and have a relationship with Mark because there's no longer sin in the way of Mark. You see, Mark's dreams have changed. Though in my flesh I want that, someone has come and has taken up residence in my life and says, no, 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 you cannot live for yourself. You've got to live for me, and it's the best thing. Someone has come to Mark's life and daily, daily works on him and says, no, 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 I've got impossible things for you that you know not of. Someone comes to Mark and says, you know what, Mark, I'm telling you, even if you had that little perfect world that you want, you would not be happy because I've designed your life to only be happy in me and I'm heading a different direction than you are. Mark, I've empowered you to make adjustments. I've empowered you to turn from the way that you want to live and live a life that counts because I love you. There was a day when God came to Mark Hopkins and he said, Mark, I, because of your faith in me, because of you turning from your sin and trusting in me, here's what I'm going to do. You deserve to die, Mark. That's all there is to it. You deserve to die. You're a sinner. You have chosen to sin so, so many times. You deserve to die. My holiness demands it. In a judicial sense, that's the penalty. But what I did, Mark, was over 2,000 years ago, I took my son and I put him on the cross and he took your place, and he paid for the penalty of those sins. He paid for the crimes just as if he had been the one who 
had done them. Now, I want you to wrap your mind around this for a moment, because if I just stop right there, we're not going to go to where I want us to go this morning. I, I want you to picture something in your mind. Jesus Christ is on the cross. He never sinned. He's perfectly holy. He has met God's standard 100% of the time. But he's come, he, he, he came to give his life a ransom for all of us who have not. And now he's taken the penalty for the crimes just like he had done them. And I want you to go with me to a place for a moment. I don't know if you've thought about this in a while, but it's just like this. Imagine the Lord Jesus Christ thinking all the thoughts that you've thought in your lifetime. Imagine Jesus Christ being greedy with his money. Imagine Jesus Christ being selfish with his family. Imagine Jesus Christ talking perversely with the men at work. Imagine Jesus Christ fantasizing about lewdness and perversion. Imagine Jesus Christ slandering his neighbor. Imagine Jesus Christ fighting with his sibling, claiming his rights. Imagine Jesus Christ sitting at home having his feelings hurt because he hasn't been noticed lately. Imagine Jesus Christ having a pity party because people aren't making much of Him. Imagine Jesus Christ stealing from others. Imagine Jesus Christ being the mugshot that you see on the nightly news for all the grotesque things that man does daily against fellow man, woman, and child. Can you just go there for a moment? See, we, we can't even fathom that because He's holy. He's sinless. But imagine him doing all those things. That's what happened on the cross. He took the brunt, he took the punishment just as if he had done those things. Why? Because while we are sinners in the old Adam, the new Adam has come as Jesus Christ and he had to be identified with us so that he could bear the penalty so that in him we can put the old Adam to death and walk in the new Adam, Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And I want to tell you, not only did He take the penalty for sin, but He did something else. He took all my sin on Himself, and then He turned around and said, here's what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you all my righteousness. And so God, while Jesus Christ was on the cross, poured out His wrath until there was no more wrath to give so that his law would be satisfied. And then he said, so that now I can have a relationship with Mark, Mark's sin can no longer separate us. Something has to pay for that sin, just like Mark had never done the crimes. And then I've got to give Mark Christ's perfect righteousness. I'm going to tell you, this is not fair. There are days, have you ever lived days where you feel like you get the raw end of the stick? Let me tell you who's really gotten the raw end of the deal. God. He's gotten the raw end of the stick. You see, I don't deserve that at all. Not, not one iota do I deserve it. But what he does is, he says, Mark, by grace, because I love you so much, and my holiness demands punishment for sin, I love you so much that I don't want you to go to hell. I don't want you to die in your sin. I don't want you to live a dark life. I don't want you to struggle with sin in the way that you do. I want you to have victory but I've got to help you with that. So I come to you and in grace, I give you something that you can never earn or gain or deserve on your own. 
And I'm going to take all your junk. I'm going to take all your sin. I'm going to take all your crimes. And then I'm going to turn around and give you my righteousness. Meaning, now when God looks at me, He looks at me through the lens of Jesus Christ. So from the time Jesus Christ was born to the time He died, He never sinned one time. And all that righteousness that was there, all those good works to His account, all that perfection, God transfers it to my account like I had done all that. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever done all those things? Mm Mm-mm. No. But that's what God does for you in grace. Imputation. Transforming what Christ has done to you. And now every person who simply recognizes their sin, changes their mind about living a life for themselves, and turns to faith in Jesus Christ and says, Christ, I want you not just to save me, I want you to be the Lord and master of my life. I see how beautiful you are. I see how dark this is. I just want you. I come and collapse in your arms. I want you. Give me you. God in His grace applies that grace to those sinners. Now you might be thinking, hey, Pastor Mark, I got all this. I got this down. I've got it. You've preached on this before. I'm with you. Thank you so much for that reminder. But here's my problem. While I'm glad that he died for me, what about my bad habits? What about my fear? Because Pastor Mark, if I was to sit down and talk with you in your office for just a few minutes, I could give you a list of things that terrify me. Where my whole life is paralyzed around what I'm afraid of. Pastor Mark, what about my pride? Every time I try to put that thing down, man, it just put right back up again. Pastor Mark, what about the sin that I struggle with day after day? What about my feelings that are constantly hurt? Pastor Mark, I get my feelings hurt by people all the time. I'm just one big hurt. You ever feel that way? Just one big hurt. You breathe wrong and my feelings are hurt. Pastor Mark, what about my thought life? I think things in my mind that one should not think. I fantasize about things that I should not fantasize about. Hey, what about the fact that my spouse and I, we just fight all the time? And Pastor Mark, I got an anger problem. I am so angry that it takes the least little thing to set me off. I'm like a walking time bomb. And when I get angry, everybody in my path had better watch out. I'm a firestorm. Hey, Pastor Mark, what about my bitterness? What about my bitterness that just eats away at me like a cancer? Hey, Pastor Mark, what about those things? I mean, I got the fact that Jesus died for me. I got the fact that he's paid for it, but I'm struggling with the after effects of those things right now. What do I do? Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. I've got to quit living, and I've got to let Christ Jesus live in me. And now when I get up on Monday, and I get up on Tuesday, and I get up on Wednesday, and I set out to live my day, I can't live it in the flesh anymore. I've got to collapse in the arms of Jesus all over again by faith and say, Lord Jesus, you come in, you take control, you've got to live this day for me. You've got to help me choose you. You've got to help me put on the new man. You see, I've got to daily die if I'm going to daily live. I've got to daily die if I'm going to daily live. You say, how do I do that? I want to give you four quick things. Here's the first one. I've got to get up tomorrow morning, and I've got to know 
what Christ has done for me. I've got to get up tomorrow morning and I've got to know what Christ has done for me. I want to tell you, there's so many times we get bored as Christians of hearing the salvation gospel story. I'm telling you, the gospel is the only way you're going to change. It's more than a one-way ticket to heaven. The gospel is the instrument of change in your life. I've got to get up tomorrow morning and I've got to say, and I've got to remind myself, Jesus Christ, over 2,000 years ago, He died for me. And He didn't just take care of the penalty of the sin so that I could go to heaven. He took care of sin in such a way that He took my old man, this old sinful nature that wants to live for Himself, and He shot it to the cross and He nailed it to the cross so that when I, through faith, come to Him, I died with Him on that cross. Now I don't have to be the same old way anymore. Now, if I'm in Christ, if I choose to wallow in sin, it's because I made a choice to. I'm not in slavery to it anymore. Because the Bible tells me that before Christ, Romans chapter 6, verse 6 says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Before Christ, slave of sin. After Christ, now I'm over here in Christ. I'm walking with Christ by faith. I'm forgiven of my sin. So now if I choose to go back and be fearful of men, if I choose to go back and please this person other than pleasing God, if I choose to go back and, 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 and walk in anger and pride and sensitivity, it's because I walked over here and I chose that. But I didn't have to. And the only way I've got to remind myself of that daily is to understand that Christ has already taken care of what I could not. He did it. He sealed the deal. You've got it as you come to Him in faith. You've got to know what Christ did for you. He did it. But here's the second thing. You've got to restrain the flesh. You've got to restrain the flesh. You see, even though I'm in Christ, I still have a sinful nature that I struggle with every day. I've got things, I got things on my agenda for tomorrow that I would rather not do. I got things I got to deal with tomorrow I'd rather not deal with. I got things tomorrow that if I'm not careful with, I will sin in the process of dealing with them, but I don't have to. And the thing I've got to still wrestle with is even though I'm in Christ, even though I'm forgiven, even though I have the Holy Spirit inside of me because I've come to Christ in faith, I've got to understand that I still struggle with the sin nature because I still live in a sinful body. I still live in a sinful flesh. I still live in a sinful world that's constantly trying to lure me back to what I was, sa what I was saved from. So I've got to restrain the flesh. You see, God still has given me a choice. Even though I come to Christ in faith, I still have a choice every day to put off the old and to put on the new. I have a responsibility in restraining, putting a seatbelt on the flesh, mortifying it, putting it to death. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 11, Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yield yourselves to God. I've got to get up tomorrow morning and do that all over again. And you know what I'm finding? It's not just tomorrow morning. I'm going to have to do it. I just, I've got to do it moment by moment. I've got to do it moment by moment. Now, some of us are sitting here and we're thinking, Pastor Mark, my problems are too big for this. I need, I, Pastor Mark, some of the problems in my life, I need professional counseling until the day I die. All right, you, ever, you got problems that feel that way? <laughs> I'm telling you, this is the Bible's secret to change. It is God's instrument of change for your life. I've got to get up tomorrow morning, and moment by moment, I've got to constantly be restraining the flesh. I've got to constantly realize that Christ nailed the old mark on the cross. It died with Him. 
I don't have to do what the old Mark wants to do anymore. It has been finished. The power has been broken. The freedom has been given. I don't have to do that, but I'm still lured to go back here, so I've got to restrain the flesh. I've got to restrain the flesh. I've got to put my faith and trust in the fact that I've been dead to that. I'm now alive to God. I don't have to serve the old man anymore. And you say, but pastor, I struggle with that. How do I do that? Well, that leads us to number three. You've got to renew the mind. You've got to renew the mind. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23 says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You see, you've got to change the way you think. We've got to change the way we think. And let me just be very clear and honest with you. And this is so true of the pastor. It's so true of the people. If you never spend time in God's word, you will think like the world. You will think like the old man. And as you think, you will live. And the more you think like the world, and the more you think like the old man, and the more you think like the person who's been nailed to the cross, you're going to wallow in that stuff. You're going to live for those things. And so when Christ comes to you and He says, that is not the direction that you should be heading. That's not what I saved you from. I'm pulling you this way. You don't want to go because you think like the old man. And you're convicted about it and you're torn about it because the Holy Spirit's inside of you warring against that, saying, no, 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 no. But you're struggling with it so bad because your mind is so consumed with how the old man thinks. You've got to remodel the mind. And the only way you remodel the mind is in the truth of the Word of God. And Sunday morning's not going to get it. Here's the deal. By 5 o'clock today, you will only be able to remember two sentences that I said this morning at best. By 5 o'clock today, this message is gone. It is bye-bye, see ya. All right, we'll try again next Sunday. You've got to be in the Word. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. You don't think like Christ until you find out how Christ thinks. And the way you find out how Christ thinks is you get into the Word of God. And you let it remodel the way you think. And the more time you spend in the Word of God, the more you know Him. And the more you know Him, the more you fall in love with Him. And when you love Him... When you love Him, you get freedom in Christ. You get freedom in Christ. And here's the last thing. As you understand Christ's finished work, and you restrain the flesh, and you remodel the mind, you then get up and you reflect Christ like a mirror to the world. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 says, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Let's just be very honest. This is a kindergarten lesson here. We see one another's sin. We're around each other enough to see each other's sin. You are in your family, and you see your family's sin. Just know this. Every time we sin, you can bet on this, we're not surrendering to the Spirit of God. Because when we are surrendering to the Spirit of God, we do not sin. It's as clear as that. When I'm saying, yes, Lord, yes, no sin. I sin when I say, no, Lord, no. I'm going back to the old man. And it's as clear as that every time. And here's the great thing. As I walk in the Spirit, and I'm not fulfilling the lust of the flesh... I show other people how wonderful Jesus Christ is. Someone once stated, the one thing which distinguishes the gospel of God's grace 
and extinguishes the religions of the world is that in the religions of the world, the blood is flowing from the devotees to the gods to appease them. But in Christianity, the blood is flowing from God to the sinners. What's he saying? Nowhere on planet earth are you going to find what we talked about this morning except in biblical Christianity. In all the religions of the world, the entire religion is based on the man working himself to God, pouring out his blood to try to appease God, and it doesn't work. Only in Christianity do you find God's blood flowing to men to redeem them. We love him because he first loved us. This week, as you think about Good Friday coming up, and as you think about what Christ went through over 2,000 years ago this week, from Palm Sunday to Good Friday and to the grave, know this, it was more than just a one-way ticket to heaven. It was so you could get up on Monday morning and not live over here anymore. It was so by noon tomorrow, you don't have to live here anymore. It was so that by the time you get home at 5 o'clock tomorrow with your family, you don't have to live over there anymore. Over 2,000 years ago, the deal was sealed. The provision was made. And as you put your faith and trust in that provision and let the risen Christ reign in your life, you will walk in the newness of life that He's offered for you. What Christ did is everything for you. It's everything for your marriage. It's everything for your kids. It's everything for your parenting. It's everything for your dreams. It's everything for your ambitions. It's everything for the rest of your life. It's all right there in the cross of Christ. That's why the Bible says the gospel is the dynamite of God that turns men's lives upside down. Government can't do it. Education can't do it. Riches can't do it. Nothing this world offers can do what we just talked about this morning but Jesus Christ. You can go to counseling till you're blue in the face. You can, you can, you can get on a, a, on a program and do it till you're blue in the face. You can, be, you can have five PhDs till you're blue in the face. And all this stuff is good things. But I'm just saying, there's only one place in all of the world that you can find what we just talked about this morning that gets to the root of the deal and gets you from being over here to over here. It's in the cross of Christ. Here's my question for you. Are you living there? Are you walking in that? What sin over here looks better to you than the Lord Jesus? And one thing I wrestled with as I looked over this message is, I gave it a little illustration about me sitting at my parents' dinner table on Saturday, and for a moment, that little life looks so good. And then all of a sudden, I shake, off, I shake my head and I come back and I, wait, I say, wait a second, but I've seen Jesus. Wait a second, wait a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I've seen Jesus. And He is so much better than that. And I haven't just seen Jesus in me. I've seen Jesus in them. I've seen Jesus in other people's lives. And that is so much better than that. And so you know what my prayer is for our people today? And you know what my prayer is for me? That I would so behold the beauty of Christ this week that there would be no room 
for anything less. No room for anything else. Because I've seen him. And he's all I need. He's all I want. He's all I live for. And I'm going to give him all I have. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? And just take a moment to look at Jesus. Aaron is going to come and lead us in a song. Jesus paid it all. As Carolyn begins to play, can I get you to think about that for a few moments? Do you ever struggle with what I struggle with? Hey, Jesus, I want to go to heaven when I die. Jesus, I want to be forgiven of sin. Jesus, I don't want to go to hell, but that's all I really want from you. Jesus, you get me through that part and let me keep the rest. Jesus says, uh-uh, uh-uh, you're missing it. Grace wasn't just to save you from sin. Grace wasn't just to allow you to go to heaven when you die. Grace wasn't just for forgiveness. Grace was also there to give you the power to be restored and obey God and live the life that He wants for you. To be a part of His plan. To be in the center of His will. Can I ask you a question? Is there sin in your life right now that you know good and well the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about and it's time to put that thing back on the cross? I mean, judicially, legally, it's on the cross. But you just keep taking it back off and putting it back on and wallowing in it. And you're miserable. You feel like you got so much baggage. You don't know which way to turn. You are stressed. Things aren't going so well. You're in torment. You're in turmoil. It's because you've taken something that's dead, that reeks, and you've put it back on for everyday living. And Jesus says, hey, I went through an awful lot to take care of that. I went through an awful lot to take care of that. I have so much better in store for you. But you think this thing is more beautiful than me. Have you taken five minutes this week to look into the face of Jesus and to see if He really is bigger than your problems? Have you taken five minutes this week and looked in the face of Jesus to say, you know what, Jesus? I think you're beautiful. I think you're more beautiful than my dreams. I think you're more beautiful than me just having a comfortable life. I think you're more beautiful than this sin, this secret sin that I do that my parents don't know about. I think you're more beautiful than things I spend time with looking at on the computer. I think you're more beautiful than me living for myself. I think you're more beautiful than the direction some of my friends are trying to get me to head. It's only as you look at Him that you'll be pulled from the slums. Maybe today you need to cry out to God and say, God, give me new eyes, give me fresh eyes to see you for who you are. So that as I reach up and cry out, Lord, save me, I can be pulled out of the slums that He saved me from. Maybe today you've never taken that first step. You've never been saved. You're still in the old man. You're still in the old Adam, the old sin. Because you've never turned to Jesus Christ in faith and said, Lord, save me. Today would be a great day to, to trust Christ. I'd love to help you with that. I'd love to put somebody with you to help you with that. I'd invite you to come forward today. and Just let us not embarrass you, but just let someone take a Bible and show you how you can do that. But Christian, there's a lot of sin that we're carrying around. Because in our heart of hearts, we think it's better than Jesus. And here's my prayer today. 
God, give me eyes to see that Jesus is more beautiful than it all and turn me from worthless things. I want to pray with you and then we're going to stand and sing and if God's speaking to your heart, I invite you to move as God would lead you. Lord Jesus, I know the message today has been a little different for me personally. I can't just drum up stuff and make it happen. Really, as I, as I look from this message, all I have to share is just the truth. And the truth that I shared this morning, that we looked at your word, it is everything for us. And the only way I'm really going to live a life that counts, the only way I'm really going to live life the way you intended is I've got to die. Mark's little perfect world, Mark's little dreams, Mark's desires, what Mark wants has got to be nailed to the cross and killed like an animal so that I can get up and walk in newness of life and let Christ live in me. Let Christ reign in me. Let Christ make my decisions. Let Christ set my dreams. Let Christ set my agenda. Let Christ take control of my mouth. Let Christ take control of my mind. Let Christ be our marriage. Let Christ be my relationship with my kids. And then I got to get up tomorrow morning and live in that moment by moment by faith. God, I don't know how you're speaking to people today, but would you do what only you could do? Would you show yourself beautiful in the hearts and lives of people so that we would want nothing but you and to please you? In Jesus' name.